0: Good morning, everyone. God bless. So happy to be with you on this day that God made. Um, We're excited for the service today. Uh, It's a special, I must just call it a community service where we're going to have some of the members and friends from our church just share with us about um, their experiences in the last uh, couple of months. Um, So we want to be mindful and be in prayer for them um, as they share. Jamie's going to lead the service. And so We are um, happy and excited. We think it's a blessing when the members talk and we get that sense of community again amongst ourselves. So sit back and allow the Holy Spirit's presence to uh, engulf you and um, speak to us. So let me lead us in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your truth, for the beauty of your holiness. Our God, your mother, we thank you for nurture, care, and support you give us. Our God, our parent, we celebrate you in the way that you take care of us over all, that you see all and are in all and through all, and that we can trust and rest in you. Sweet Spirit, please unite our hearts and guide our conversation. Jesus, we do this to honor you and as our Savior and as our Lord. This is our hope, you be lifted up, and in lifting you up, you draw us closer together. In Christ's name, we pray, Amen. Um, so Keith Wilburn's with us. Keith, I think you have to unmute yourself.
1: There we go. Hey, good morning, Mosaic. It's great to be back with you. Uh, we're just going to start this morning by just acknowledging uh, the Spirit of God present in us, inviting. The Spirit to lead and guide us uh, in this space, as Pastor Angel just did with her prayer. Uh, this is called Fullness, uh, it's by Elevation. And uh, yeah, let's just go to God in worship and a spirit of uh, humility.
2: eternal promise stirring in your sons and daughters we
1: houses even though we're in separate spaces some of us far away from each other uh, we know that uh, we are connected we are unified we are bonded by the power of your spirit the presence of your spirit and so God we pray that your spirit would just continue to lead our time together that we would feel you we would feel you in our hearts we would feel you in our homes that we would uh, hear you in our minds, in our hearts, that you would speak to us in a real and meaningful way that challenges us, that encourages us, that uh, changes us, so that when we leave this space, uh, we would be more like you, uh, closer to your will, uh, loving with your heart, seeing the world through your eyes and understanding with, with your mind so that we can do the work of your kingdom in this space so we thank you god for drawing us together we thank you for your presence uh, in your name this next song is a an older song uh, just but a beautiful song about just the power of god's love the love that comes with uh his spirit and it's called the power of your love
2: I come to you, let my heart be changed.
1: we just call upon the power of your love. We need it. We need it in our personal lives. We need it in our families, in our community, that love that continues to change us and uplift us and hold us together. So we pray that that spirit of love would just permeate this next section of our service as we hear from our brothers and sisters. We thank you. We love you in your name. Amen.
0: All right, good, all right, good morning again. Um, just a few quick announcements. Um, we wanna thank uh, thank our brother Keith for being with us. Um, he's been so gracious to uh, share uh, just his love of worship and to bring us together over the last, these last few months. Today is kind of his official last time with us, but you know, I'll coax him back every now and again. Um, and again, we just want to say thank you to you, Keith. Uh, you've just been a real blessing to our community. Um, and uh, you're just showing yourself to be my brother. I appreciate you so much. So, um, so folks, it may be in the, um, in the chat, you can just offer some thank yous to Keith and we appreciate it. Um, also, so next week, we're gonna have um, Raheem Curry with us. Uh, many of you are aware we hired him as a youth specialist. So we're excited about that. Yeah, I am, I don't know about you guys. And um, I just am in just in great joy to announce that um, AJ Wallace has accepted the position of Director of Operations for us. And so we'll have both of those guys with us hopefully next week and everybody can meet them. Um, and um, we can proceed. He's gonna, he won't start till toward the end of August, but we will, um, we'll just be working with him Jessica's going to help them get all settled and everything. And so, you know, we're moving forward. God, the work of God hasn't stopped in our lives and in our community. I'm back in the office Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, My office hours are 11 to 2, um, but we can always arrange anything special, special meeting or whatever. I love that. So I'm available for some, you know, socially appropriate masked walks or whatever. So we can, can just connect with each other you were loved. So next, we're going to have uh, our brother Jamie lead us in um, our service today. I think Jamie is uh, particularly gifted in hosting uh, these kinds of services for us. And so he's going to uh, walk with uh, Paul Mumford, Magda, I don't have my glasses, so I really can't see, Eric and Lashandra, uh and talk uh, sh- to uh, ask them for some particular questions and have them share with us their experiences from the last couple of months. So prayerfully, let's listen and encourage them. Father God, bless our speakers uh, with the words you would have them speak today. Calm hearts and minds and help us to hear. We thank you, sweet Holy Spirit, for your presence. Oh, it is by the power of your love that we do all that we do. Um, we appreciate you, we really do, in Christ's name amen
3: thanks angel uh good morning everyone how are you all doing it's good to see you all um yeah i'm so excited about today um we used to do this a lot um in our community services where we would hear from members of our congregation and um actually first of all i want to apologize if i start melting like a something out of Indiana Jones movie. Uh, It's because my air conditioning is broken. And this is probably the coolest room I can find and the window is open. And so I apologize if I start sweating. I'm an Englishman in Philadelphia and I have been here nine years and I'm still not acclimatised to this heat. So I do apologize. But anyway, and you can see my quarantine look is flourishing. Um, I'm going for the Grizzly Adams slash BG look. That's a reference for the older members of the church. If you're a younger member of the church, my reference would be an aging hipster trying to hold onto his corners for dear life. Um, this week's gonna be a bit different. Uh, like I said earlier, um, over the past week or so, Angel and I have been talking and, and trying to think of ways we can make our service a little bit more interactive uh, like it used to be when we're in the building. Um, you know, since we've been having our services on Zoom and Facebook, we've realized that um, the service is coming a little bit one way and we wanna sort of change things up and and try new things and and see how it works. And so obviously church is a communal thing, Um, not just one person speaking to everyone. Uh, Speakers engage with the congregation. Um, The congregation learn and lean and engage with each other. Um, It enables us to grow and move forward and flourish and change change to where Jesus is leading us. And so, Angel and I talked and we wanted really to hear from you guys. And so, particularly at this crucial time uh, in this country, um, we're obviously in the midst of a pandemic, as we know, and we've been talking about it and the changes that has happened, but we're also um, being confronted by huge other social issues um, that we have far too long been dealing with, but not really moved for any further for we're still seeing the same old problems. And um, one of those is the oppression of the people who identify as LGBTQIA. Um, um, and, and, and what, you know, what um, institutionalized um, bigotry has done. And so we're also at, in a time of, uh, it's been fairly obvious, has where systemic racism Racism, sorry, is needing to be dealt with We're, I mean we're seeing confronted every day in every news in your social media feed you're seeing all kinds of racism, whether it be um, from George Floyd to um, To people just being um, Oppressed by uh, particularly white members of of the country and so we need to start dealing with this we really need to start dealing with this and the only way we can start dealing with this is start talking to each other and listening particularly white members uh we need to listen and we need to do the work uh, do the work and so um what i what we're going to do today is actually have a discussion and talk with four members of our uh, amazing church and like angel said we have um Paul Mumford, we have Magda, we have Eric Johansson and we have Lashandra McCook and so um, first up I'd love to introduce and we're going to talk about how um, the racial injustices that have been going on have affected them, how they are learning from this and how what their hopes for uh, for the future is and so without further ado I'm going to invite Paul uh, to um, come on to Zoom (laughs) And um, Paul is an incredible guy. He's been coming to to mosaic. Paul, how long have you been coming to mosaic for? Um,
4: I think like three years. Three, three years. years three, and you
3: came. You came because of your wife, right? Um, yes. Kayla, Some yes. of you must know Kayla. Kayla's been serving on the ministry team for a while. Uh, she 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 leads the uh, or so she has sung in the in the worship team, and um, but she also does an incredible job with our kids. Ministry and serves, and she does that while she's being a teacher as well. So, uh, that's he's you're, you're married to a pretty cool uh, lady there. Um, plus, Paul is also a fellow okay. nerd like me, um, he's one of the few people I can talk about comics with. So, uh, we have a good geek out sometimes there. So, <laughs> um, Paul, first of all, how, how are you doing? And um, I'm gonna sort of like allude, allude into. How has this situation with the police brutality and systemic racism impacted you personally
4: overall i 'm doing good um just you know dealing with everything day by day like everyone else when it comes down to corona stuff. Um, when it comes down to police brutality, uh, it kind of made me want to pay more attention to my culture more because um it was just a lot of things coming up that made me realize I wasn't as educated as I thought I was. So um, as I was like digging more into like, you know, black history and black culture, one of the uh, things I found that was very interesting to me was the Black Panthers and how much I didn't really know about them. I don't know if this applies to everybody, but me growing up as a child, I used to always kind of hear like Black Panthers like wanted like rights for black people, but they were they were violent and they were aggressive. And then when I read about them, I learned that that's not even close to true. Uh, they were a very peaceful group and their main focus was just to like, you know, police neighborhood, police black neighborhoods, make black neighborhoods feel safe and comfortable for black people. And I didn't know that they had a hand in like, you know, why kids today have free lunches. You know, they had this uh, movement where they provided free breakfast for neighborhoods just so kids could go to school with a full stomach and be more, uh, tend to uh, more like focused when they go to school, basically, mm-hmm. basically, and um, I also while doing research, I ran across a uh, I didn't watch the movie fully because I usually try to stay away from um like historical black movies just because like it kind of puts me in a dark place because it, it doesn't take a lot for me to understand you know what black people came from you know understanding that we came from slavery understanding that you know. We basically had um, been impressed and abused for so long, but I came across um, a review that basically touched on the history of it and what the movie touched on, which was a uh, it was a miniseries called When They See Us. And watching it and just seeing how you know, kids that had nothing to do with I don't know if people know about it, but it's basically about like four four or five. Uh, black kids who were accused of raping a white woman, and none of the kids had anything to do with the rape. It's just they were close to the vicinity at the time, so they were basically accused and uh, held in interrogation rooms without their parents. They were all like 16 years and younger.
3: Yeah, they were okay. called the Central Park Five, weren't they?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: The, the media laid labeled them as the Central Park Five. Yeah,
4: and it's basically they were never. It basically media twisted it and made it seem like they were they actually did a rape it was never like they were accused of it it just was like they raped and they all were treated like men they were referred to as men they weren't referred to as kids and you know you look at the stuff going on today I think it was a a case with a lacrosse team and you know the media made a point to call them kids you know um, and how these kids were being accused of rape where you know these boys who had nothing to do with it were basically already sentenced to Death, essentially. And, you know, when reading that and just seeing how people was treated, it kind of makes me angry, you know? It makes me angry towards a lot of white people that I don't know. Like, the white people I know, I know where their heart is, so I have no anger towards them. But, you know, the ones that I don't know, it definitely created a uh, a sense of anger in it, you yeah. know? Because um, I know I don't know if, like, every black person feels like this, but when you walk into a room full of a lot of white people that you don't know, it's always in the back of your head of like how many of these people are racist, you know, it kind of puts on, you have to already have this defense for yourself because you just don't know. It's so many that, you know, you're looking at statistics and you're like some of these people probably have an issue with me being here. Are these people judging me? You kind of already feel like you're being judged walking into the room and it just created a lot of anger for me. Well, I think, I
3: think as well, the the thing you were talking about with uh, when they see us is a certain person who's in charge of this country now,
5: yeah was very
3: involved in 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 making uh i think he didn't he want them to be put to death or something
4: yeah he uh in the documentary he was basically um saying that they should get the chair and everything like that mm. and you know um another thing that the, the reviewer touched on was he touched on like how a lot of the people today how they react to that situation and like you know a lot of people don't take uh, responsibility for how they label those kids. And, you know, they kind of like write it off or make a statement like, oh, well, you know, once they found the real rapist in that story, uh, oh, we just forgot a, it was a six guy. We didn't know it was a six guy. It's like, no, it was only one. But, you know, some people just don't want to take claims for that. Um, it's definitely something that I feel like people that they don't know about it or they just need, a they want a better understanding of like, you know, why black people have the the sense of fear or why black people have this sense of resentment towards white people. I feel like, you know, if you watch that, you get a bigger understanding because you're actually watching kids basically be treated like stone cold criminals. Yeah, I mean,
3: that, that I mean, I, I remember what I actually watched the, I didn't, um, I watched the the documentary on the central part five and and that that was an early part of my my journey to sort of question the racism uh, not only in this country but my and and how the media had you know brainwashed me essentially into yeah. into our perceptions of black culture and um, so it obviously sounds like you're in this kind of weird like weird balance you're hopeful but yet there's you know this thing and so what has kind of helped you or even struggled with uh your faith regarding your faith amidst all this hatred anger and um just general you know ambivalence maybe to 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 the racism in our country
4: well i mean honestly it's, it's it's not really a struggle it's more of like um It's kind of like, remember who you are, you know, kind of situation, remember what you've been taught, remember what you've learned. And, you know, everyone who truly believes in God universally knows that God wants love, you know, he doesn't want hate, you know. um, It's not our jobs to make the world worse. It's our jobs to make the world better. I've always had a philosophy that God puts everyone on this world for a reason. You know, I always feel like, you know, maybe I'm put on the world to make the world better. Maybe I'm supposed to have a big impact. Or maybe I'm supposed to have a little impact. Maybe my next generation that I'm teaching and I'm giving education to, maybe they're gonna be the ones that have a bigger impact, you know. Who knows how far my lineage will go where if my teachings go down to my smallest kids teaching my and their kids teach their kids and so on and so forth, that you know, someone in my generation or someone in my family line will have a strong impact on the world and making it better. Um, I mean if you look at what we're going through today, it's, it's a cycle, it's a cycle of hate. You know, people are teaching, like even with me, if I'm teaching my kids to have a disdain for white people, then they're gonna teach their kids to have a disdain for white people. And it's the same vice versa, you know, white people are teaching their kids to hate black people mm-hmm. and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, if we don't break that cycle, we're just gonna keep hating one another. Uh, I mean, take, a, take, take for account what's going on right now with this pandemic you got to realize that a lot of these people who have problems wearing a mask is because they have to realize that, you know, some of them enjoy being privileged. Some of them enjoy certain amenities. And then when you're made to be on the same level as another person, it's some of those people, they can't, their ego can't handle it. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I mean, someone put an interesting post up that I saw like a while ago. Um, It said, you know, for people who see these signs that say um, "only serving people that wear masks" and they feel offended, think about how Black people felt when they saw a sign saying "only serve white people." You know, think about how that felt, and that was way more harsher than a mask. You could take a mask on and off. You can't take off your skin color. You got to live with that. And I think a lot of people are struck. A lot, I think a lot of these people who are being selfish, who have hatred who doesn't, don't want to wear a mask, they don't really care about everyone else's feelings. And, you know, it's like, there you go. If you want to know what hatred will do to the world, look how it's affecting just a fragment of the world right now. Like America's numbers are reaching the highest out of the world, you know. We're not too far off from the whole world, just basically saying, like, hey, you live in America, you can't come here. And it's just because, like, this country has the most hate It's parent. It's like, you needed, like, a realistic statistic, you can see it right now it's apparent that this country has a lot of hate in it. You know, no one wants to look out for one another. No one wants to build up one another. We just care about, you know, our comfort and our safety versus everyone else's. And um, so, like, when it comes down to, like, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, once I saw the document, because it wasn't really the Black Panthers. It kind of made me sad. But when I saw um, the, the documentary, When They See Us, that's when the anger came in. But because of what I was taught and what I believe in, is that, you know, we have to put love and build each other up. And then I think definitely the build each other up part is very important, I think, when it yeah. comes down to, like, a community, especially with, you know, us teaching our kids. You know, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. When you're teaching your kids love and, and picking each other up, you're, like, you're bringing something that was systematically put in people for years, you know. Um, I think about, you know, slavery, you think about, all these I mean, a lot of people don't get it, you know when it comes down because I think about like what Kanye West said when he talks about how he thought it was a choice he's looking at the fact that there was thousands of slaves brought over here, thousands of slaves made, and it's like, how do you have that many slaves, but no one thinks to overtake the system It's because they built in they built in jealousy, they built in hatred within those within that community you know how do you they could see that it's a lot it's a lot more of them than there are of us so We'll, if we treat some of them better and give some of them certain amenities, I think I said that right, amenities, for uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they give us certain amenities for uh, telling on their other, pe- telling on their brothers and sisters. You know, we'll treat them better, which makes the people who are getting treated like crap resentful of one another and jealous of one another, hateful one another, and that's stuff that that just trickled in and affects affects black people today and and other ways that's the only analogy I can think of for black people, but I know it definitely affects other people as well. And because of that, we have this uh, we have this uh, separation to want to build each other up and be proud when one of us succeeds. you know? Yeah. So um, I definitely feel like, you know, that's important to teach kids, you know, hey, don't hate, don't be jealous, feel love for one another. And, you know, basically have like a, a mindset of like, you know, he made it, I'm happy for him. And it gives me motivation to want to strive to strive harder to make it myself. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, that, I, that, in fact, that kind of you kind of leaning into my my third question is, um, what or how do you do you hope for the future? Because um, you, you've obviously talked about the wider community. Um, I guess to look a bit more inwardly. In our media community, in our church, in, in West Philly, even in Philadelphia, what what's your hope or you know, with with moving forward, I guess um, to to a more equal and anti racist community.
4: Well, I mean, looking at our church, I feel like you know what I hope is going to be more achievable. Um, so my main hope is mainly for the rest, the rest of Philly, the rest of the world, hopefully, because um like like supporting the support that we've had for like, you know, systematic racism has never been as high as it is now. You know, when you look at the fact that it's affecting the whole world, like every, like different countries are protesting for this. I do believe that we have a closer chance, but I really hope that, you know, we understand, you know, the true issues, you know, that we understand like the struggle that each other is looking at. Um, and we just start looking at the, the bigger issues, you know. Um, if you think about the fact that, um there's there's a, a real interesting question that I think a lot of people haven't thought about. Um, I have a friend who's a cop. Um, and when I asked about, I was even considering being a police officer and I looked very deep into it. and I looked at how much cops make and everything. And you know, I think the highest some of them make is around like 90,000. And that's if you've been on the force for a long time. And that's if, due to what you're going through, the stress, the risking your life that's uh, not a lot for what you're sacrificing, and I know I think it's a question better to ask, like how is the city getting non tenths of the budget towards the police department, but all these officers are so underpaid you know for what they're sacrificing and you know at least to me, I think that's a real troubling because it's like when you look at it, it's like man, it's like even if you fix the initial problem, how long until that problem crumbles again? Um, and I think another thing that we have to look at kind of leads back to this is a big thing I really feel like we should look at the most and it kind of leads back to what I was saying earlier about um, Understanding one another uh, is that, you know, if you go to the base of every movement, you know, the Me Too movement, the LGBTQ movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, every movement and you go down to the foundation. The foundation is just it's people that want to be treated like people, you know, everyone just wants to live and be like have a normal life and be treated like people. There's no reason why we should be treated different based on how we look, based on our gender, based on who we love. You know, There's no reason why a woman who loves a woman or a man who loves a man should be denied the right to raise a child. Uh, There's no reason why a woman should be able to walk down the street and be fearful if she sees a van that has no windows and fear that if she walks past that van, that might be the last time she sees anybody she cares about. And there's, like, no reason why, like, black kids playing in the street, their parents should worry if they have water guns that they're going to be treated like a thug with a gun. You know, we all, my hope is that, you know, all these, all these movements can, like, understand that no one's struggle is less than others. Everyone's going through something, you know. Mm. You know, like, I. granted, I'm an idiot when it comes down to other people's movements. You know, I understand a little bit, but I'm definitely an idiot to it. But you know, I believe. Well, can, I, can I interject that there? Yeah,
3: you said when we spoke prior to this, mm-hmm. you said something to me that was very impactful to me in that conversation. Uh, Wait, because I don't think you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you said you said something um, where you were proud about what you have been doing,
4: and there was a proud. Do you remember? Do you remember that? What we were talking about? one thing i remember a lot i still haven't found the best wording for it but i remember that uh you have to take pride in your and yourself and in your culture but also make sure that you're in the front of the movement you know don't make sure don't follow the movement, but be in the front forefront of the movement because it's real easy to just follow the narrative but not look at all points you know like you know black lives matter is like oh yeah defund the police you're like yeah let's defund the police but if you're in the front you can see all right we defund the police but what about the training because yeah you defund the police but the training is still going to be the same well we need to also reform the police and train them better or it's like you know let's say uh oh yeah all the white people were bad it's like yeah but then you get in the front you start realizing a lot of those people that are supporting you are white and it's like wait a minute not all white people are bad but if you're in the back and you're following everything you're not seeing like a lot of these key clues that you know it's more to it you know let and like you know one, one group, one bad group doesn't represent the whole group. And you know, when you're in the front of the movement, you're the forefront of the movement, you're seeing all these things, you can see it better than basically like following along, if that makes sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was like a shocking thing for me when I realized the police training here, like in Europe, I think you have to have a degree. And then you, and then you have four years at least yeah. training to be a police officer. And what it means, and de-escalation, and all this kind of stuff. Where here, it's just like you come out of school, and I think it's, I think it's like
4: six weeks. I think
3: six weeks. Yeah, I mean, and and then you're out in the street, and
4: you know. Yeah, and, I think uh, in terms of um, situational training, mm-hmm. I think I think it varies state to state. Actually, it varies county to county. Mm. But um, some of the ones that I've I've heard is that the situational training they have is around 24 to 48 hours for the year. Worth of situational training. Yeah. Where in the military, when they're getting ready for the preliminary missions, they do 18 weeks of training, situational training, getting ready for stuff. Just because it's like you know, the new guys are going to have a lot of jitters coming in, so they make a lot of dumb mistakes in the beginning. But that's why you have the 18 to 19 weeks of situational and, like training and basic basic training, just so once you get on there, your nerves are more calmer and you're used to you, you're prepared for whatever scenario you get into. And it's just like, yeah, that's troubling when you hear that cops aren't even getting the proper amount of situational training and de-escalation training that they need. Uh, one, one, um, one podcast I was listening to, uh, it was a Joe Rogan podcast, and he had on his former SEAL team. He's a former SEAL team veteran, and he talked about how when they first went to Afghanistan, you no know, people are in to guess, Afgan- Afghanistan didn't see them as... Uh, they didn't see him as friendly. They saw him as a threat because, you know, yeah, they came in, they killed the people who I think was insurgents, I guess they called them. They killed the insurgent, but in the process of killing the insurgent, they also killed several people who were innocent. So to the community, looking to that community, they're like, no, these military people are evil. They're coming in, they're killing us, vice vice versa. And he, the guy basically said, so what they had to do was they had to rethink their strategy. So instead of coming in and just, killing, they came in and built more of a base in terms of like, you know, hey, let's establish a relationship with this community. Let's say, hey, my name, my, my name is Sergeant Da-Da-Da. I am here. If you need any help, you know, like if there's any crime or anything, let me know. You can find me at this number. And they basically built a rapport with the community. So when it did come time to take down insurgents, you know, they were way more tactful in how they did it. They made sure there was no civilian casualties and they just took down the people they were there to take down for because. If you think about it, the community doesn't want those don't want those insurgents, those insurgents. I, I think I'm using the right word, right insurgents, but um, the community doesn't want those people there because those people are just adding to the criminal activity in that community. Yeah. yeah. So the military is there just to take them out. And it's like when you build a rapport and you trust these people, it's great. And I was thinking that would be great for like us. You know, that'd be great for every community if you know officers that are assigned to your neighborhood do a knock door to door knocking like hey i'm officer paul i'm with to your neighborhood here's my card i'm just introducing myself letting you know who i am um probably tell a little bit about yourself if you don't whatever and just go like hey if you ever find anything if you feel if you feel threatened or you feel like you're in trouble you feel like your neighbor's in trouble feel free to give me a call i'll come down i'll check it out
3: yeah
4: you know it's it's, it's way different when you see an officer drive by and you can wave and call a name and he'll wave back at you it makes you feel like you know hey I know those guys have my best interest in heart, yeah. and you know, I feel like that definitely goes a long way for establishing a uh, healthier relationship. Yeah, and making you feel more trustworthy in people that you thought since growing up that you could always trust. Yeah,
3: Paul, I would love to, Karen, chatting with you, and <laughs> we've got we've got three other people. But I just, um, it's a bit weird here because everyone's on mute. But if everyone can just give Paul kind of just like an air clap. Um, and hands or whatever you want to do. Um, Paul, thank you so much for, for sharing. Um, I know, like, like I said, m- me and Paul had a great chat the other evening and, and he really impacted me from our conversation. And that's why I really wanted everyone to hear from you as well. Um, and so thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate it. No problem, no problem. So next up, uh, we have the incredible Magda. Magda has been with our church for a very long time, and I'm not going to say how long. I think she's probably been there longer than me, uh, which uh, is, what, 10 years? So Magda can probably tell that. But she's been involved in our church very much. You, you probably see her in the project, project, projection. She's involved in everything. And without further ado, Magda, how are you doing?
6: Hey, good morning. Good um... morning. Yeah. That, how are you doing? That's always, uh, like day by day, week by week, you know, uh, statement, I think sometimes hour by hour.
3: Well, so um, I should probably interact as interject there as well. Just Mark does obviously works as a, as a physiotherapist, right? At, um, which hospital is it? It's the
6: at Einstein.
3: So Mark has been really in it in terms with the COVID stuff. Um, and so, hence that kind of leans into your statement then. I guess we should probably get to the questions and saying how are you doing and how, let's focus on the the racism subject, keep that going. How has the situation with the police brutality and and racism impacted you?
6: Yeah, um, so I was born and raised in Venezuela and uh, back home out of the country, it's basically about the size of Texas to give you an idea and out of the whole country there was basically only one uh police precinct that could be trusted um because it was basically that's how much corruption there was and that's how much like if you would never like ever 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 call the cops um if you ever needed some kind of sort of law enforcement support you would call the firefighters um so that to me just gives me a little a little bit of an understanding of when you know again right when black people say we don't trust the cops we don't want anything to do with them I cannot put myself in a black person's shoes I could never do that but I can bring that little bit of understanding of yeah I can see why you wouldn't because that that's my whole country's experience um, And so there's that part of me that's like, yes, no, it it doesn't compare, but I can relate to that. Um, And so I think it gives me a little bit more perspective of being trying like to be okay to lean into that and listen to my friends who say, here's been my experience or here's been like, you know, our people's experience and the history of. Um, And then the other way that I've like just really been impacted is. Um, Again, being a healthcare provider, and I I haven't had a whole lot of training on trauma, but I've learned that along the way, and I've seen my friends, um, especially, right, my Black friends, my my friends who are, like, you know, people of color, um, who are living and reliving trauma, especially the last, you know, few weeks, the last couple of months, but right, anytime that there is Uh, whatever new tragedy, whatever new thing comes up, uh, whether it's, you know, here in Philly, whether it's their own family, whether it's nationally, like the trauma that they have to relive. Um, And so I'm trying to like really listen in on that. And I'm trying to, um, as much as I can, right, like, I've, like, for instance, I posted a couple of things on Facebook about what what trauma does to people and what, um, how that affects like their ability to focus in school, how that affects, right? Like your, even your hunger levels, just how that affects like people on so many different levels. Um, And I think as uh, somebody with white heritage, like the, just trying to lean into that and trying to realize how, you know, it's not just about oh something bad happened to you or like oh this is part of history it's like no people are i don't think we talk i don't think i mean again being a healthcare professional i wasn't trained i think maybe we had part of a lecture like there's so much i went our grad school program is three years and like no they can't teach us about everything so we learned some things along the way but i think if we could and this is i get this is why we're doing this today like if we could talk about you know, trauma and what does that mean and what does that look like and what does it look to be a survivor of trauma? Um, and I've appreciated too, like Pastor Angel at, at one point commented, commented on one of my posts, um, that then we also have to look at and celebrate like the resilience of people and look at like, you know, this proud heritage that Black people have, that Indigenous people have of surviving trauma after trauma. And so for me, that's kind of been my, how it's, I think how it's impacted me the most. Um, And trying to almost like, I think Paul was saying like, you know, to be on the forefront, whatever it means to be on the forefront of the movement. I think for me, instead of, right, just watching back, there is an element, right? You have to kind of watch a little bit, follow a little bit, but also it's to be on that forefront. Like for me, it's, oh, maybe for, for, right, you're, typical white person who's like, no, 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 like, I can't, like, aren't willing to listen, you know, Black Lives Matter aren't, willi- li- li- aren't willing to listen to those things. For me, it's like, okay, are you willing to listen to trauma? Because I think many of us can understand trauma uh, for the people who aren't willing to listen to this is a race issue or race is an issue. I'm trying to, like, introduce, like, okay, trauma-informed care.
3: Mm. yeah no i mean i th- I, th- I think that's a huge point i mean i was I, i've i been attending a father's group and it's a very diverse group and we we just talked about and you can just see the trauma on each of the, the black fathers in the group that has permeated and 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 just that sense of from the white father's point of view just like wow you know you know what i mean it's like how there's how that burns so so deep and how if we're going to be white allies we need to start really realizing and st- looking at that trauma that's been caused you know we we're all obviously talking about with ki- our kids in this in the, in the covid situation what's this trauma going to be causing you know our kids and we're, we're prepared to do look at this but we really also need to be prepared to look start looking deeply at the trauma of of black lives and, and, and where that goes. So you've obviously talked about this trauma. Has that been a struggle or has with your faith, or is that look, have you actually found your faith to be helping in that trauma? um, Moving forward.
6: Um, I would say, I mean, it's, it's definitely been helpful. Hmm. Um, because right, we, one of the biggest things about our faith, faith in Jesus is that there is hope, um, and, and even if we just kind of, I think for me, just to, I, I tend to be much more of a practical, like, live it out kind of faith, um, so for me, for, to, to just look at Jesus and write, like, what did he do, you know, it's he was very, very practical, um, so yeah, it's the message of Jesus or the, the, well, yeah, stuff like the message, but like the mission of Jesus, right. Feeding the hungry, um, liberating the oppressed, right? Like he was with the outcasts. Um, so, and I, for me, my faith of like, yeah, like, yes, of course be spiritual, you know, like, of course connect to something that is bigger than you. Yes read scripture learn from that be in community be in fellowship but for me it's very much of like um you know act it out be of service um and uh that's that's for me how my faith has helped me um the i think the struggle that i've had um is and this is lifelong for me it's i don't necessarily go to prayer first and i'm very thankful that god is an active god that it's relational so that if sometimes i put god on mute like it's not you know uh, he's still there right like it's very much a relationship um prayer can look like so many different things um so for me it's it's the like mm, you know what i should talk to god a little bit more about this like um And uh, one of the things that I found, so having said that, having said that, like, I would not call myself like a prayer warrior, you know, that term that a lot of Christians use. Um, But having said that, one thing that was just kind of mind blowing to me, and this is like how God works in the Holy Spirit is, you know, one of those like, arguments, confrontations on like Facebook, of course, of all places. Um, And it wasn't necessarily me and another person, right? But, um, there were two different episodes, two different people. And all of a sudden, this was probably about a month ago, all of a sudden, I just felt the need to pray for these two guys and who just don't see what's going on or choose not to see what's going on. And I don't have actual one I grew up with. The other one is connected through a friend, but I don't have actual relationships with them. And, um, and all I could think of in the moment was like dear Jesus, like I, I like just all I can do is like lift them up to you and like Holy Spirit, please like they they, you know, say that they like that you are living in them. So just please like break through these barriers because clearly none of us are getting through to them. Um and so it was it was a little weird like i mean it was like great but it was a little weird for me i was like oh hey look at that like my first in, my like one of my instincts with them was like to pray for them um yeah so that again like there's that struggle of like prayer but you know it was also like oh look at that like
3: yeah, yeah. oh that's cool i mean thanks for sharing that story that's that's so cool um so i guess same question again like moving forward like we've talked about you know, in a wider thing, like in terms of like Mosaic Community Church, how, how do you, how do you envision, or do you have a hope or future of like moving as we move forward, um, to become an anti-racist church?
6: Yeah. You know, Um,
3: what are your hopes, I guess?
6: So, yeah, so I've been a part of the church, I want to say about 13 years. Um, and, um, I've seen myself grow and then I've seen the church grow and um, my hope and I think, you know, and we all recognize this about our church is that we are very, we are unique and we are special. Um, And uh, I think one of the things that's been uh, always a part of our church um, is, is the relationships that we build. Um, And I feel like, you know, relationships are so important, right? That's how we get to know each other. That's how we get to know like where people's hearts are. And as we get to know each other, that's where we get to challenge each other too. Um, that's where we get to in loving ways, right? Within that context of love and within the context of faith, we get to, um, we get to challenge each other. I think if we see something that's like, oh, maybe that wasn't the most appropriate thing to say, or hey, let's consider like the bathroom thing, you know? Like, how can we make our church more inclusive? Um, and so I love being in a church that we've had so many different challenges, especially the last five years, um, you know, moving out of the Vineyard Church and, um, and and why, and what did that mean, and having those conversations. Um, and then trying to tackle being an anti-racist church. And again, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, that's one of the main reasons why like, I love our church is, is no, we are not perfect. Um, we don't get everything right. Like we're not going to, but it's the fact that we are building relationships that we're willing to lean in. That's not like that we're learning how to make each other better and stronger, again, in the context of love, in the context of faith in Jesus. Mm. Um, and, and so that's unique and that's special to us. That's, that, that makes us special and we can use that to then, right, um, branch out into our community. And at the same time, like we've had these conversations that it's not just about you know, us into our community, right? We have a lot to learn from our community um, we have a lot to learn from our neighborhood. Um, and, uh, so I, I, for me, I guess I read this tweet online and I'm going to share, it, cause this is like my prayer. Um, I think for me and for our church. Um, and so this is from Carolina Hinojosa Cisneros. She's, she's an activist. She's, uh, I don't remember her whole background. I know she's Hispanic. Um, But so I just read this this morning. I thought this was very appropriate. So my prayer for us and for me is, God, keep me teachable. I don't want to have so much pride that I can't say I was wrong. I get it wrong a lot. I want to do better. Keep me teachable. Every day, I want to be better than who I was yesterday.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm um, <laughs> that's Yeah. I mean, Magda it's like, thank you so much for your honesty and, and keeping us, keeping us real, I guess, as well. And, um, Magda actually kind of like, it was kind of really nice how Magda got involved in this was that, um, I was in the park in Clark park at the farmer's market and Magda suddenly came up behind me and I was like, who can I, who, who am I going to talk to? Who can I talk to about this? Who can I, and like literally turn around and Magda was right there. And, 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 and so I was just like, Magda. And it was like, you know me, the majority of who know me, I'm a bit blunt. I'm like, Magda, would you like to speak on Sunday in two weeks? And she was like, well. But so I appreciate you, uh, you sharing and giving us this time. And I apologize for my bluntness in a park, but I just felt that I had to seize the moment. Um, thank you. And everyone again, hands up in the air, you know, give, thank you so much, Magda. I really appreciate it. Uh, next up we have Eric Johansson. Um, I think a lot of, you know, Eric is extremely involved on our church. He's, uh, what you were on our council. You're outgoing, aren't you, Eric?
5: I'm still on. Don't kick me off yet.
3: Fail. Uh, preacher fail. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Eric is definitely staying. I'm glad you said that. I was a bit worried. I'm, I'm sorry. The heat is getting to me. Um, Eric's actually, on, Eric being incredible is actually on vacation and he's taking time from his vacation to come and uh, 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 talk to us. Eric also works for SEPTA and uh, is very involved with that. He is probably one of the best world famous jugglers for juggling everything. And we, we also have banter about sports because uh, Liverpool won the league after 30 years this year. So, and Eric's been a big supporter of that. So Eric, um, how are you doing? And, uh, and you know, how has obviously this situation affected you and your family and, and, and your journey with anti-racism?
5: Yeah, I like how Magda put it, it's almost like hour by hour, day by day, I'd have a different answer for that. Um, wild swings of emotion, you know, I feel like I've been through the stages of horror, anger, guilt, more guilt. Um, and, you know, kind of like a, a sort of general feeling of hopelessness over all the problems seeing the police brutality, COVID, climate change in the background lurking, and all the horrific racial inequalities that's being exposed by all of them. And I think as I think about the question of how have I been impacted, um, I can't help myself. I'm very much of a systems person. I think in terms of systems, um, I think a lot of our world works in terms of systems. And I think the way that I've been impacted most is that I find myself literally questioning everything I, I know about every system. Um, so like recently, I find myself asking not just how could our capitalist system in America become so broken, but asking questions more like, why exactly does money even exist? Um, and, like, if we're going to do such a bad job <laughs> distributing it, why does it even exist? Like, it's a human creation. Um, or, like, not just why are so many police officers so brutal, but why do police officers even exist if they're not going to do a good job keeping public safety? And I'm not saying there's easy answers to any of these questions, but I have definitely find myself questioning a lot of systems more than I have before. Um, but I think that you know over the, especially over the last couple of weeks, that some of the feelings of horror, anger, guilt, and hopelessness have started to become channeled into what I think are more productive um, forms of motivation. Um, Katie and I have really started to commit ourselves to a process of learning. Been watching a lot of the free documentaries that are available, and we came across one about James Baldwin. Um, and James Baldwin is someone that I want to spend a lot more time learning about. But he had a quote. Yeah. He had a quote in one of his documentaries that just, just, just absolutely stuck with me. And it was something like, "I'm optimistic about the future, but not about the future of this civilization." I'm optimistic about the civilization that's gonna replace this one. And I think that what the last couple months have done for me is help me understand what James Baldwin was saying, and I'm not sure I would have understood what he was saying before this, is that we have cause, and I think, you know, in his opinion, we have no choice but to be optimistic, but that the task of the optimism is to throw everything out because if you agree, and I do, that every system and every institution that we have in America is based on some form of white supremacy, I think if, if white people are being honest with each other, I think in a lot of those cases, it's time to start over.
3: Yeah, no, I um, agree with you.
5: And I, think, I think starting over feels more possible now than it has in my lifetime. Yeah. So that feels inspiring.
3: Yeah, I think a I think big phrase that comes to me is like, when are we going to get back to normal? Where it's like, what's the, what is what was normal? What was normal, right? Are we going? Are we going to this? You know, the white supremacy normal of this? Or are we going to a new? What we want to be a new normal, right? Of what was, could what it could be exactly like James Baldwin, who I've been leaning on heavily in my journey. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I guess again, same thing with faith and. You know, and your activism and that—how has there been? I mean, obviously, we're both white men, and therefore, you know, we've been brought up in a church that was extremely white, authoritative, male. You know, and so, and then suddenly, now this is all kind of like questioning what we've been brought up in, right? So, I guess, what have you struggled with, or what's helped you, you know, move
5: forward? Yeah, I mean that's honestly what you just said is what I struggle with. I mean, one of the emotions I didn't mention uh, in my last answer to my question was embarrassment. Um, I like if I'm j- if I'm being honest, like I am so embarrassed <laughs> to be a white man in America right now, and in particular a white Christian man. I mean, I think my biggest faith struggle for some time now, this is not a last two months phenomenon, is to try to comprehend how someone can read the Bible, go to church, call themselves a Christian, and still support and associate themselves with people that are perpetuating this evil. Um, and then, you know, I remember that I'm a product of that culture. Um, and so it's not just a them thing, it's a me thing um and I think I'm reminded a lot that I have a lot of personal work to do to address and understand what it means to be a product of that culture Mm -hmm. Um, but something that I can say has really helped me um, particularly recently but really over the past three years is to witness um, the people in our neighborhood where we live in Mantua um, in West Philly where I noticed this immediately upon moving in. There is a church on almost every single block of the neighborhood of Mantua. The neighborhood has lost like 50% of its population over the last 50 years, but there are still thriving churches all over this community. And I think it was, um, I, I forget who in this conference.
3: Eric's in Maine, by the
5: way, everyone, so that's where the connection a little bit. I mentioned it earlier, this topic of celebrating, it might have been something that has really started to occur to me over the last couple of weeks and months in particular, is just how amazing it is that people can go through 400 years of oppression in this country and still be joyful about their faith and, and go and worship this God and I think that that is just an amazing thing to witness this resilience and to witness that kind of faithfulness is something that's really special and really shows me that God has something real to offer us
3: yeah no I, I think you're right I mean I think for me I was especially because of the COVID situation you know we're cut off from our family in the UK and then we to be coming over and this is a really selfish thing to say but I was like I think we need to go home. I think we need to go back to the UK and an enlightening thing for me because I was, I was exactly like you embarrassed by being white and, and, and having that, um, on me and just what my culture and, and, and you know, white supremacy had done to me and I walked, it was a walk and I walked from Bartram's gar- uh, sorry, from home to Bartram's garden with my kids. And I walked, and literally the whole community was like, hey, hey, how you doing? And I had no idea, you know, and they're like, ah, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is why I'm here. This is exactly why I'm here. I wanna, be, I wanna be part of this. I'm not gonna get this in, even in London. I'm not gonna get this in London. I'm not gonna get this in South, on the South Coast. I'm not, you know, and it's, this is why I'm here. And it's like, we can do this together. We can't, like, we can't be hidden by embarrassment, yeah. right? We gotta break that embarrassment. Um, so I guess you've been obviously in part involved in the church because of your role in the, in the, in the uh, council for a long time. So you've kind of had always had a how the sausage, so I don't want to use that phrase, but how the sausage is made <laughs> kind of thing, perspective. But like, what's your hopes for the future moving forward to like, yeah, I mean, you know, an equal community?
5: So- I said this at a council meeting the other night, actually, you know, we, we at mosaic have this remarkable opportunity. You know, we are a multicultural church that exists in a specific place in a specific time in history where we really have an opportunity to have a deep and lasting impact on our neighborhood and in the city. Um, and I see, you know, this opportunity is a responsibility. You know, you can always make a difference. But, you know, if history is any indication, it tells you that these kinds of moments only come around every generation or two. And I really believe it's our job to really lean in and see through the kinds of systemic changes that are so overdue. I mean, we just we have to make it count. Um, and my, my hope is that our community, we accept this responsibility and act on it. But you know, as I reflect on this question, I also think that my hope is for white people that we can recognize that part of that action is being willing to learn. And you know, part of what it means to act on our responsibility right now is to stop and give up on the savior mentality for a second which I am so personally guilty of and just be willing to listen. Yep. And I know that sounds weird when I just said it's time for action, but I don't, I think if we don't educate ourselves first, that action can really wound people. Um, and I actually have a very brief story that hap- that played out at work recently, that I think really exemplifies this point. So I'm part of a team that has been, um, continually working on SEPTA's COVID response. And when the riots happened uh, uh, a month or so ago, a part of that team kind of got carved off and kind of became the almost like the riot response team. And I was part of an effort to try to help coordinate a SEPTA participation in uh, uh, cleanup support for a lot of the neighborhoods, many of whom are right along our Market Frankfurt line, right along our Broad Street line, a lot of the neighborhoods that we have lots of service to try to um, imme- like mobilize immediately to get SEPTA employees out there to help with some of the cleanups. And uh, we had a meeting one morning to talk about logistics and about two hours later, I got a call from someone who was on the, who was who was participating in that meeting, um, he doesn't talk very much. Uh, she's a person of color, and she called me and said, "I'll never forget this." She said, "It has taken me two hours to get up the willpower and courage to call you and ask you if you really think mobilizing a cleanup is the best response right now." And that really, I, I, I did not know how to respond to that. Like, I thought we were doing exactly what we should be doing. But over the course of about the next half hour, she asked me a lot of very thoughtful, reflective questions, such as, how do you think it feels to be a bus driver who lives in one of those neighborhoods, who Uh, one of those shopping centers that just got all their windows blown out and literally doesn't have a place to bring their bus over because there's no stop left. Like, do you think that instead of a cleanup, we should be mobilizing a support network or a conversation or something other than an effort that in her words, she perceived as trying to sweep aside what happened. Mm. And, I'm I'm going to be honest with you, I am never going to forget that conversation, because I have been at my own personal journey of trying to be better at anti-racism for four years now, mostly through the church, and it was just so, so humbling to realize that in this moment of intense need for our neighborhood and for our city, that I could still get it this Wrong mm. um, and so what I really feel like for myself personally and my hope for a lot of white people is that we take the time to listen and learn because I think that if we do it'll be more sustainable, and then what will come out of it will be even more powerful
3: yeah yeah, I mean, Eric, I just want to affirm that in you kind of thing. I think you know you have an amazing grace and ability to listen anyway, um, but also I think you. Um, I think it's that the thing, you don't forget those conversations. We mustn't, as white people, forget those conversations um, because it, as white male, we tend to charge in and go, right, let's get what, how to fix it. And it's like, no, nah, we've got to stop a minute and, and listen to those conversations in order, in order to move forward, to start fixing actually the minutiae rather than the bigger picture, because that's the thing. Eric, thank you so much for sharing, I really appreciate you taking time out from your vacation. Go and enjoy yourself, enjoy the kids, and Katie, and uh, everyone again, hands up in the air, big wave for Eric, and uh, thanks so much Eric. So last but not least, and she's been waiting so patiently, is Lashandra, Lashandra McCook. Uh, Lashandra is again, very involved in our church, she's been coming, I think, Lashandra, how long have you been coming to our church?
7: Well, almost four years if not, four
3: years yeah um, I've got to know the McCook family through when I was serving as the youth ministry uh, uh, their daughter Trinity who's an amazing uh, person who's very uh, well, humble in her gifts and, and, and encouraged her to, you know, to sing and, 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 and do things like that and Autumn who's made a brilliant Mary at our Christmas services uh, every year and um, Lashandra is an incredible person once you get to know her and and, and very gifted in in telling the truth and, 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 and you know but one thing I enjoyed yesterday was uh, for the first time is most of you know that I don't know if you know but uh, her family have been created this incredible uh, BZ barbecue and uh, I managed to get an order in this week and and all my family uh, devoured it. So I think uh, that's been a great thing as well. So thank you, Lashandra, for an awesome meal yesterday because we really enjoyed it. And I know a lot of the Mosaic members did as well uh, because I saw on their posts because I was getting jealous of all the posts of the barbecue. Anyway, but um, Lashandra, how are you doing?
7: Um, it's getting better, I think, as Matt said. It really just kind of depends on the day, the week, the hour, um, the time. First, I do have to say I can take absolutely no credit for any barbecue that came off of that grill. Um, that is all of Laurel's amazing talent. Um, it has been his dream for a long time to, you know, kind of do barbecue. Um, and one of the blessings of COVID is, um, is presented time and opportunity, and have both met, and so um, been able to make this happen. Um, so, you know, it makes him happy. It's fun, and of course, the perk is there's always some leftover beans in the house.
6: <laughs>
7: um but aside from that, um kind of let's see, I mean, it's July. Um I'm better right now. Um I'm starting to feel a little anxious again. Um for those of you guys who don't know specifically, I think a lot of people know I work for the school district. Um I've been a history teacher for ooh, fourteen years, just left the classroom two years ago. Um Um, But I taught specifically African-American history uh, in the school district for high school for seven, the last seven years until I left the classroom. Um, And now I'm on one of the committees of creating um, some anti-racist professional development um, for teachers to hopefully um, do at the beginning of the year, however that's going to look, but uh, that will be some continuing work throughout the school year. Um, And one of the things that I've had to do, um, I guess once I got over or processed through the immediate anger, hurt, sadness of all of these back-to-back groundhog days of um, Black men and Black women dying at the hands of the police and kind of going numb, but yet trying to keep it together for the little McCooks in the house, Um, even though a lot of guys know Autumn is that she's extremely sensitive and picks up on a lot of things and has had to make me address some things before I wanted to. Um, with her is um, kind of what I've had to do, though, is kind of check, ironically, what is my privilege about my knowledge of Black history, um, institutional racism, um, systemic racism, and all of that, and realizing like, people don't, even Black people don't have kind of the knowledge that I have of Black history because... um, I've taught it, when you teach something, you have to do extra learning before you teach it to somebody else. So I've sat through years of um, additional professional development into specific time periods within American history and the impact on black people and black people's experience. So, um, you know, a lot of things I'm like, oh yeah, okay. You know, I, you know, I knew of a lot of situations, but then um, ironically, what this time period has started to do for me is to see the impact of white supremacy within the black psyche. Um, So not just, oh, you know, Brown versus Board of Education um, integrated schools. And that was the first crack in the um, dismantling of systemic racism in education um, on paper. But when I look at it as my mother who was born in Selma, Alabama um, was actually the first integrated class of her high school and she didn't graduate high school until 1970. Um, when you bring it north in, you know, you still had in the late seventies, the active protests against integrate, against the busing in Boston. Um, when black people say actively, I will not go to Boston because of the, the discrimination and racism that still exists. But then, um, so going back to my mom and I, I talked about this, what it was it? last year, two years ago, when I gave the talk about my struggle with kind of with perfectionism, um, and how my mom kind of forced me into being perfect. I didn't have an opportunity to get anything wrong. Um, And resenting that for a long time and not understanding where that came from. Um, You know, you had to act a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way. um, And kind of the Black people I grew up around, everybody had that same mentality. And for me, for so long, it was very normal. I didn't think anything of it. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, But it's very also classism, very elitist at the same time. Um, and it was not a new situation for the Black community. It happened a lot of times um, during the Great Migration when Black people left the South and came North to the already established Black community that was here who had managed to get an education, had managed to carve out some sort of safety zone um, businesses, education for themselves here in the North. And then when you had Black people coming from, from the South who didn't know how to act that way. And so it jeopardized their standing with the white community and so, um, Black people were forced to assimilate into this established Black culture. Um, and realizing that's actually just um, a system uh, or a, a symptom of white supremacy though. And so um, kind of seeing how to redefine um, myself, my Blackness, how I, in, how I interact with other Black people and defining you know what is acceptable behavior or what is not acceptable behavior or appearance. Um, and all of those kind of things is, you know, kind of some unlearning that I've had to do over the past couple of years, but also seeing, um, kind of how God is at work in this has allowed me to let go of some of the resentment that I had for my own mom enforcing me into that, but realizing it was just a method of her survival. Um, when you are one of the few black kids in a whole high school in Selma, Alabama, you know, the scene of the March on, um, well, the, the, um, the Voting Rights March, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you know, with John, with, um, John Lewis and the hoses and, and all of that, you know, she was nine when that happened. And, you know, so parents like really raising, you have to be perfect to not give white people any excuse to say anything. And so that's what she raised me with. It was, it was how she survived. It's how she gave me the talents and the skills to get into a room. Um, now, but now, you know, kind of me and my generation were in those rooms, and now we have to start redefining and reclaiming um, our definition to realize that we don't have to kind of define ourselves according to what's acceptable for white people anymore. Um, so that's one thing kind of that's been coming out of all of this. And I'm saying that not that the institutional racism, police brutality isn't still at the forefront of my mind, but that I've known that but then kind of digging deeper and seeing how has this impacted me? And it's really about, you know, so how am I gonna raise my kids to be proud and black and not to say, this is a good black person and this is a bad black person. Not defining, oh, like a murderer versus not murderer. We're not talking about this, but hey, if you wanna wear your hair like that, or if you wanna do this, or if you don't wanna go to college, um, you know, saying the only way to be successful is a four year college degree. And that was something, you know, I did unintentionally to my students when I moved here and began teaching, I was like, oh, you have to go to college. Completely disrespecting the fact of their, le- their learned experience, their parents and all of that stuff. So like I said, there's unlearning that had to happen um, from a class system from me, but realizing that that's all rooted in white supremacy. Um, so there's, there was a lot of that.
6: Yeah. Sorry.
7: Was how um, Driving down the street in autumn before, I was like, "Mommy, we can trust the police." And it was—I forget which murder it was, honestly. And knowing that I can't, I can say outright, honestly, "Yeah, they're—they're they're okay." Like, I—it always gave me pause before I answered her and try to answer it in a way that was like, "We're supposed to trust them." And I kind of usually left it at that, as opposed to a blanket, "Yep, you call the police when you're in trouble." So
3: a lot sorry i muted myself because i realized the traffic might be taking over the conversation but um uh yeah i mean i and, and exactly what you just said kind of leans into what um magna was talking about trauma and how that's built into the built into what how our like you know black lives especially has been built into and, and the knock-on effects that has so with regarding to your faith and 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 trying to live out your faith when there's so much oppression and hatred and anger uh, going on. How's that kind of either, again, guided you or, you know, what, Yeah.
7: first thing I think, um, it's just kind of like that, that forgiveness or acceptance of, of understanding why my mom raised me the way she did and not, um, kind of holding on to that. And I'd say, you know, I've, that's been something I've been working on for a while, but actively kind of seeing the past few months, like really this was her survival mechanisms she passed on to me as opposed to, and as funny as Brad a couple of years ago who had mentioned like, you know, stop expecting your parents to be perfect. And that's what started the process, but then kind of naming, being able to name that at, uh, their her um, like always being the best and not just doing your best, but you have to be perfect as a as a survival um, mechanism for her growing up, so kind of being able to forgive that ex- exactly, I think that 's definitely you know got at work um, i didn 't you know, wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know what this was at?" Um, also, I think just being at mosaic, knowing that i 'm part of a community that is actively doing the work of dismantling systems. Um, you know, four years ago when I was looking for a church, it was really just looking for a church that had a great children's ministry, not even, you know, looking for anti-racist or, um, anything. I've always kind of been in a church where it's been multicultural. So that wasn't, um, a thing, but now kind of four years later to think that I'm proud to be in a church where I don't have to worry about, Hmm, what is this person going to say about this issue? Um, you know, kind of being able to to brag to people I know, like, hey, if you want to make sure that you're in a in a church that is affirming and it's going to be accepting, you know, hop on Zoom and you know check us and check us out because they're authentically doing the work. Um, as Eric can mention, um, having challenging conversations with who's in the room. One of the phrases, you know, kind of is going around, um, white people get the privilege of learning about racism and stuff, and you're doing a lot of learning and listening. But if you're not learning and listening, if, um, if there's not Black people in the room, question the room that you're in. Um, but then looking at Mosaic, actively sought to make sure a Black woman is leading the room. You know, so that is Mosaic just learning and listening. They're doing the work. So white people's learning curve is kind of steep right now because you're learning, listening, and acting all at the same time. If you're worried about hurting, then look to the Black person in the room and take the lead from them before trying to do something on your own.
3: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, obviously you're a mother of three, two daughters and and a son. And so, you know, in terms of looking, looking towards the future with, um, with Mosaic and and how I think you obviously were leaning into talking about that briefly at the end of that question, but like the future, I mean, obviously, as Angel said earlier, we've hired um, a new youth leader who's black. And so therefore, you know, we're again moving into that, you know, and, and having that in our church, which I think when, you know, when I heard that Rahim was coming on, I was really excited that he was going to be moving the youth movement forward to a place where I probably couldn't even imagine, um, you know. And so um, in terms for you, what what's, what is, what is the future of the church and give you hope with?
7: Um. I'm really hopeful Um, knowing that the goal of the church is to continue to be actively engaged um, that I think it'd be safe to say beyond the learning part it's actively in the doing part now and constantly seeking out the opportunities to do um, to model that Christ-centered philosophy so that you're not turning people away and hurting people by religion Um, because I think that's why a lot of us are here because we were hurt by religion, turned away from religion, and finally said, "Okay, let me rediscover this on my own. And I figured out that was what the problem was. Um, Certain actions outcasted. And so you said, well, if I can't live up to this standard, I might as well not go. And so now when you know you're always operating Christ centered um, to continue that and just hoping that um, our outreach and impact within West Philadelphia um, can continue to happen, to continue to spread, to continue to bring more people in um, because we've done the work community-wise and they say, hey, I wanna find out, like no other church has tried to you know, partner or do something with um, you know, the trans community or something because that's just not what religion does. And so um, to continue to be a church that People of all walks of life will actively seek out because they know it's a place where they will be affirmed, and it's about um, being Christ-centered. And however you want to define right and wrong, that's between you and and Jesus. I mean, yeah, there's the non-negotiables. Like, you know, you murder somebody, that you know, that's a clear-cut and dry. But as far as who you love, how you love, what you identify, you know, you're all welcome.
3: Wow, thank thank you, Lashandra you've just said some stuff actually that's going to kind of affect my wrap-up um, <laughs> because I realize we're going long but I just want to adapt something that you kind of put put in but everyone I just want to say thank you to Lashandra for sharing um, and and Paul, Eric, Magda thank you so much again for sharing I just want to kind of encapsulate this with a biblical verse um, and I re- do realize we're going long, but please, please indulge me because I think this conversation is so important that we can't just cut it short. Um, because this is this is exactly why me and Angel wanted to do this because I have learned so much um, from from each of you. But and it's going to make me, like Lechandra said, go and do do it. Right? We It's all very well going like oh, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to read this James Baldwin book. I'm going to watch this movie. You know. But we've got to go and do it. And so. Uh, I wanted to l- use the story from Acts 10 about Cornelius, uh, the centurion, and Peter's interaction. And I'm, because what Lysandre has said, I'm going to kind of like encapsulate it into, into what I suddenly realized, something. Um, and I've actually just used a word that's, that's influencing my talk here. Um, that uh, Cornelius obviously was a centurion, uh, and he, was, he loved God, though. He absolutely loved God, and he um, really believed in everything. But he was what you would call the Israelites would call a Gentile. Um, a Gentile is a nice way of putting what the Israelites called a heathen, in a sense, um, what they would call a heathen, which is you know um, something. And so um, I think Pete, like racism is uh, is a learned and ingrained behavior. We're not born racists. Um, you know, Peter was taught the law and it was ingrained into his thinking at this point that even the Lord could not penetrate it. Peter was so ingrained in the doctrine that he was, that the Lord couldn't p- p- penetrate it. And so, um, you know, even though Peter was a believer, um, you know he still allowed his culture of his upbringing to determine his values um and i guess that's a dangerous place to, to, to be but um i think through his interaction with cornelius um and i'm not going to read the whole verse because of because of time because it's a very long verse and a very long story so that's homework for you guys just to read that and 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 and, and take it in um but he had a very defining moment Peter had a very defining moment with his interaction with Cornelius and his faith. Um, and again, I said Gentile means heathen, um, but it's also a term that Israelites would use to describe all foreign people. Um, and, but the story really is about how God made good on his promise um, to Abraham, when he told he would be the father of many, many nations. And so at this point in time, uh, the Israelites are God's chosen people. But this story is about to take a turn that will make us a globally diversified, graceful nation. That is God's hope. And so in verse 14, uh, Peter says, Surely not, Lord, I have never, ever eaten anything that our Jewish laws declare pure and unclean. This is, this is what I was talking about with the law, that it was so ingrained in Peter, um, you know, that at first he refused to obey the Lord, even though the Lord was telling him something. He was like, no, no I've never eaten anything. I'm not gonna do that. Um, and so the voice spoke to him in this, in this dream a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What the Lord was trying to teach Peter was far more significant, meaning than clean and unclean food. The Lord is changing the game entirely, right? In verse 23, Peter invites Cornelius into the house as his guests. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this invitation, because at the time, no um, Israelite would invite a Gentile into his house. Um because it was against their law. Um, Remember, again, like I said, Gentile gentile means heathen. Um, It was an invite that clashed against his culture and against the law. But Peter was already taking the first step towards accepting Gentiles by inviting them into his home as his guests. Um, Because Peter says uh, in verse 34 um, that... Then Peter began to speak, and he said, "I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation, who fear Him and do what is right." And what this this is kind of leaning into what Lashandra said about learning and doing is that the sentence is Peter says, "I now realize. I now realize." He he's gone. Oh, whoa. Okay, I get it now. Right? But what did Peter do? He didn't go Oh, I get it now. That's great. Let's do it. He invites Cornelius into his house. He actually does it. He's going against something that he that had been indoctrinated on him for, you know, since the beginning of 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 the faith. And so he was he was actually going ahead and doing it and doing it and and this is this is what it means to to do it. Um you know, and I think that's how we move forward. We've got to do it. We've got to realize and then do it. And so, um, I think I'm going to finish here because I I, I think I want to get into some worship and just praise God for making us realize. Um, and I want to go and do it now. Um, I really want to go and do it. So thank you again, uh, the four of you, um, Keith, are you ready to lead
5: us?
1: Privilege to be a part um, and just hear uh, just so many uh, words of wisdom, experiences. Um, mosaic, you are certainly a blessed community with the ways that you're following Jesus, the ways that you're committed to each other. So, thank you again for letting me be a part of uh, your community for a season. Uh, we are long. I just want to end with a brief uh, song called I Need You to Survive by uh, Hezekiah Walker, one of the great contemporary gospel musicians. But certainly in this season and moving forward, uh, Mosaic, into the work that God's calling you to do, uh, there's a need to rely on God, uh, certainly. But there's also a need to continue to rely on each other and to listen and to learn from each other. And just what a beautiful example you have all set today by what you've shared so that's a very simple song um, but it just affirms the need for the body to uh, depend on each other uh, and continue to love each other as so many people have talked about it's a very simple song so even if you don't know it feel free to jump in like this. I need you. You need me. We're all
2: a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part
1: Do that one more time and we'll close. I need you.
3: Thanks Keith. Um, sorry, my phone is now having a bit of a moment. So give me a (laughs) sec. Right. So I'm going to leave the service, but I just want you to encourage you to leave the words of our, our friends here. Um, and, but I just want to finish the sermons from Romans 15 verses five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in the accord of Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have an amazing week and see you soon.